Hi, I'm Keisha Pettit, executive producer of this podcast, and this is Not An Overnight Success, brought to you by Shuram Partners Financial Services. In this podcast, our host, Gus Wallen, sit down with some very successful people from the world of business, entertainment, and sport, and they chat about their life's journey and what got them to the position that they're in today. In today's episode, we are chatting with Brian Walsh. Brian is the behind-the-scenes man of some of the most successful superstars in Australia. Now, he's really humble about it, but he has played a major role in the success of Australian TV shows like Neighbours and the career launches of people like Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman and Kylie Minogue. Plus, he was also responsible for getting Tina Turner to be the voice of the rugby league. Brian has always had a way of identifying talent and nurturing their careers that is very unique. He's passionate, he has a true love of entertaining people and bringing joy to their life. He's always loved being the one who makes things happen, but he's never wanted the spotlight for himself. This chat is a really refreshing take on what it takes to be successful in the entertainment industry. As for all of these podcasts, Shore and Partners have generously donated $10,000 to the charity of choice of each of our guests. We discuss who that money goes to in this chat. This podcast is brought to you by Shore and Partners Financial Services with production assistance from Kelly Stubbs and Brittany Hughes. Let's get into our chat with Brian Walsh. G'day, Walshy. G'day, Gus. Great to see you. Great to see you too, mate. What were you like as a kid? What was I like as a kid? Well, you yeah. probably have to ask my uh, three <laughs> sisters what I was like as a kid. I think I think as a kid, I was starting to sort of frame how I would be as an adult. I had a, a great passion for entertaining others from a very young age, and that was literally in the backyard, in the shed down the backyard, putting on shows for for my family and for my sisters and for the neighbours. So I think as a kid, I was curious and... I think I had an entertainment gene in me that came from somewhere, but mum and dad could never work out where it came from. <laughs> so when you put these shows on, were they sort of singing and dancing? Was it uh, you speaking? What sort of stuff was it? Uh, it was a bit of bit of everything, really. It was, uh, you know, Christmas shows for all the kids in the neighbourhood. My younger sister was, she was a lot more out front than I was. So I, I was behind the scenes. I was, okay. I always saw myself as... The producer of other talent, not okay. myself. Okay. I, I, I think I've got a good head for radio. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. But you have made it your career, haven't you? Behind being able to pick up on people, pick up their skills, pick up their their nature, and being able to elevate them to be entertainers. Um, I think I've I've been fortunate to have come across some exceptionally talented people through my life. But I think if you were to ask me what drives me, it would be entertaining others and that's that's where I get the greatest pleasure from whether it was when I was a young kid at home down the shed whether I was at school organizing film nights for fundraising whether it was at university when I was showing surf movies down the south coast it was that notion of putting on a show that other people enjoyed that to me is is the greatest reward you know to spend your working hours making other people's leisure time more enjoyable. Yeah. So let's say, let's pick one of those nights. You're doing the surf movies at uni. Are you at the back of the room with a big smile on your face because you see that the room is full and the people are looking up and being entertained? Is that feeling of pride and happiness and success for you? Yeah, that's the bow on the box at the end of the night. The beginning of the night is stressing out that <laughs> there's going to be enough people to fill the hall or... In some of the venues where I showed surf movies, they were, they were open-air theatres, so you just pray that it didn't rain. Yeah. Or if it did, you just grabbed the money box and took off. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was that notion of, of seeing smiling faces um, that I got the greatest pleasure from. Were you good at school? Were you uh, academic? I was good at school. 
I had a great passion for history and geography. You know, I think I was just the average student. I applied myself through study. That was very much encouraged by my mum and dad. And it was expected I'd go to university. So, you know, just like a lot of other young blokes who are growing up in Australia, parents who wanted to see their kids do well. And I was the only boy, so I think there's a heightened expectation. Back in those days, you know, mum and dad hoped I'd go into law or I'd go into be a school teacher or do something noble. So the, <laughs> the notion of entertainment freaked them out a little. Were they thinking entertainment's not a proper job? They said it's not a proper job. <laughs> it's full of insecurity. You've got to have a job for life. All of those qualities that I'm sure you were also encouraged to look to, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it takes a certain mum and dad to sort of let you go away from those dreams because, you know, that from a young age they look at you and go, well, that's what my son will be or what my daughter will be. And yeah. Did it take them a while to come around or did you feel like you had their support once you sort of made your decision to go not law and entertainment? No, it took them a while. <laughs> I was running a business from the lounge room at home, which didn't go down well. So I, I was always wanting to be entrepreneurial and I don't think mum and dad kind of processed what that meant until I'd achieved a certain amount of success in business life. Okay. But no, it wasn't a matter of, okay, well, you've got a, a leaning towards entertainment, go for your life. It wasn't that at all. It was a bit of a bit of a struggle to get them there. And I think I was, to a certain degree, a bit rebellious. I, I kind of pushed the envelope a bit. For you to have the confidence to go for that against your mum and dad to, at the end of the day, what was that drive that made you go, you know what, this is for me? I think it was uh, the encouragement of others, actually. So I sought out mentors and I sought out people in the industry. I wanted to convince myself first of all and then convince my folks that it was the right industry to pursue. And so those mentors have been uh, an integral part of my life and absolutely essential to my success. And uh, we used to go on holidays up Gold Coast and uh, one of the family friends ran a Queensland company, Birch Carroll and Coyle, who were big cinema uh, big cinema chain and so I got him to encourage my dad that the entertainment industry was okay and he was a success and then of course I think probably one of the greatest mentors that I was blessed to have in my life was John Brennan who came into my life when I was still at school so he really encouraged me for a career in radio so I knew that I was going to move into entertainment whether it was going to be radio or film or television or cinema, or film production, that was undecided. But I just knew I wanted to be in entertainment. So John Brennan, if he was here now, we'd be interviewing him. He's such a legend, isn't he? And uh, I, I came across him through a family friend, and I remember him just always saying, just keep going. You know, one day you'll be able to get there. And I always remember that, and he was always very kind to my mum, and, you know, just an absolute pioneer, I suppose, of, of entertainment and radio in particular in Australia. Oh, absolutely. I think probably the greatest influence in broadcasting in this country. The only person I know who has mastered so many different formats. I mean, he brought to Australia the top 40. He brought to Australia the good guys, which you're too young to know who they were, but the good guys were broadcasters on Radio 2SM and it was the likes of Mike Walsh and Bob Rogers and all these great names that Breno uh, was part, an instrumental part of their life. But he did, yeah, Top 40, Top 40 Radio, the good guys, introduced Talkback, 
then he did sports when he was at UE and then of course he was the person who identified Alan Jones and is responsible for his success. I mean quite an iconic figure in the industry and for me a mentor throughout my life and we lost him and it really was the end of an era. The one thing that Breno instilled in me and the one thing that stood out amongst all his qualities I think was his moral compass and that demonstrated to me that you could work in this cutthroat industry but still have integrity, authenticity and be fair and honest and they they were all the qualities that defined John Brennan. How did you come across him? You said it was before, it was still at school when you came yeah. across him. So one of my mates at school, his mother's sister was married to Kevin Humphreys, okay. who was the head of the rugby league yeah. and uh, had a big association with the Balmain Tigers. And Breno was a number one Tigers supporter. So he knew Kevin Humphreys. So my schoolmate said to his mum, Brian Walsh wants to get into radio. Do you think the family would be able to organise an introduction to John Brennan. So it came about through the, Paul Sheehan was his name, through the Sheehan family and the Humphreys family, and they got me the introduction to Breno. And I went into 2SM, which was in Clarence Street, Sydney at the time, and I was still in high school, and I said to John Brennan, I wanted to get into radio. And uh, he took me under his wing, told me, encouraged me to complete my high school certificate, go to university, and then come back and see him. So I did. And I went to university, got the degree, and then I turned up and I said, well, here I am. <laughs> he was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. That's how Breno got me started. So when you were doing a degree at uni, you knew that you were never going to use that degree for that reason as such. It was more about ticking a box and a bit of a rite of passage for you. Well, you know, dad insisted I do business studies. So I did that for 12 months and then they introduced the communications degree at what is now known as the University of Technology. And so I switched degrees and I said to dad look this is tailor-made for me you know I can major in media and media studies and sociology and I'll still come out with a degree dad so he couldn't say no so I moved over to the communications degree my first job in the semester break was working at the White Wings flower factory in Campsie (laughs) catching a flower in these bags that would go along on a conveyor belt and I thought god this is not for me and I phoned a couple of the guys who used to distribute surf movies and I used to hire movies from them when I was at school for fundraising as I mentioned and I said look if there's any work going during the semester breaks showing movies keep me in mind and as it happened the there was a certain run that became available which was the south coast and so I I started and I showed movies from the southern suburbs of Sydney down to the Victorian border and all those towns along the coast all the way and with a couple of girls from uni who I went to uni with we you know packed a combi van with two 16 millimeter Bell and Howe projectors a glue bucket brush a loudspeaker system and we showed movies in all the major holiday resorts down the south coast and I think that's where I learnt a lot of my skills it wasn't so much the university degree although that really helped shaped my writing and my academic skills for sure but when you hire out an empty hall and you've got to stack the chairs, put up the screen, then you've got to print the little pamphlets that you put under windscreen wipers at the beach where everyone's parked <laughs> and then drive up and down the main street with a loud hailer promoting <laughs> the movie. That's where you learn how to be a showman, Yeah, I think. And then, of course, the great pleasure is when you flicker that projector onto the screen and everyone's paid their admission and, uh, you know, you make a tidy profit. 
so I learned most things through doing that and I did that for three years and I would do it right throughout the year down that south coast and then every summer I would drive in that same van throughout Victoria, South Australia, across to WA and show surf movies all the way from uh, Albany in the south up to Esperance in the north. Wow. So I did that for three, four years. And that paid your sort of, well, easier than catching flour and and (laughs) paid your way through uni and just your life. Yeah, and also I think then confirmed to me that's what I wanted to do. Not show surf movies for the rest of my life, but be a showman. Yeah, and you certainly have created and produced and been able to look at talent and turn them into showmen over your life. At what stage do you go from, you know, talking to Breno and doing your surf movies to actually getting involved in being a manager, being someone who's now running Foxtel? Like, what was that process like for you? Well, I don't run Foxtel, <laughs> but I certainly... I've always thought you did. Oh, come on. <laughs> you flatter me. No, there's, uh, there's a, a very skilled CEO who has that title. I like to think that I've played a significant role in the creative output at Foxtel. I've been with the organisation for 26 years in a, in a senior management role, and I'm very grateful for that. How I decided to get into talent, I guess goes back to when I worked in radio, really. So when I finished the university degree and went and saw Breno, I was fortunate to land a role at at 2SM, which was then the number one radio station in Sydney. I was promotions and publicity manager. So all the skills I learned at uni for writing came into play, doing publicity. Radio is a great training ground for promotions, as you know. You get amongst your audience when you're out doing those field promotions. And I certainly learnt a lot there. But working with those broadcasters, and we're talking Mike Gibson, Ian McRae, and the lineup of DJs, I mean, that's where I first got involved in managing talent for the radio station. And then when I moved from 2SM to Channel 10, because I have a great love of sports, and I was asked to move over to 10 to do the LA Olympics in 84, I then got immersed in television, and that's where I really got to understand how important it is to identify talent and I really got a lot of enjoyment out of nurturing talent and I I got that a lot in television at 10. I had a fantastic decade at the 10 network through the 80s and you know I guess most people would look at my tenure there and identify the the success of Neighbours and Kennedy Miller miniseries as being being the standouts I suppose of all the work that I did. Yeah, Neighbours is, you know, much loved all around the world and you were there right at the start of it. I mean, at what stage do you look back on that with just big, you know, an appreciation, I suppose, of that opportunity? Yeah, well, it was a challenge because the show had actually started on the Seven Network. It wasn't working in Sydney. It was popular in Melbourne, not in Sydney. And so Seven were going to drop it. And Ten saw the opportunity and, and... commissioned the program and then gave me the challenge to make it work and I identified that the people or the the talent who would sell that show were the young kids on the show who were then largely unknown so you know we're talking Guy Pearce, Jason Donovan, Kylie Minogue, Peter O'Brien, Annie Jones and the show launched and again it was successful in Melbourne not in Sydney so I flew them to Sydney every weekend for gosh four months, five months, and put them out at shopping towns uh, around Sydney to do personal appearances. And 
I had them at the opening of an envelope, an envelope Gus. They worked hard, those kids, and there was such excitement for that show that there were hundreds of kids who would turn up to see them and mob them. And I remember I shot some of that footage at the time on a small camera and I sent it to the then editor of the Sydney Daily Mirror and I said, look, his name was Roy Miller. I said, Roy, or Rocky as we called him, I said, you know, the ratings don't show it, but this show Neighbours is a huge success. Look at this footage that we've captured at Westfield Parramatta. And he looked at the footage and he rang me the next day. He said, I went home and spoke to my daughter and I said, you what do you know about this show Neighbours? And she said, yeah, Dad, all the kids at school are talking about it. So he, he phoned me the next day and said, I'll give you a front page if you can give me a good angle on the show. And so that's what really kicked it off. And then, you know, everybody knows the success story that, Kylie and Jason are responsible for. I mean, they were just phenomenal success stories attached to that show. And I really um, looked after them for those years. And that's when I knew that I'd found my calling, I think. Mm. And I know, I know you've done that with some other big stars as well, which we'll get onto in a moment. What's it like? Because your face just lit up when you started talking about remembering those moments where you put together with your relationships an opportunity for that show to go well in Sydney. But the true thing about you, Walsh, is your heart around those stars who are now stars now and how much you, I don't know, give them confidence and work with them and work hard with them to give them that opportunity. That to me is your greatest asset is that sort of personable stuff. What do you think? I'd like to think that I am someone who is authentic and honest and I feel that when you're with talent, you have to have that kind of relationship where they entrust you with their careers and to make the right decisions and to give them the right advice. And I've always seen myself as being someone very much in the background. But age is an interesting thing because in the entertainment industry, some people argue for, for, for youth. I would argue that I think experience counts for so much and... I think because I had a lot of experience with media, I knew what to look out for and therefore to help others recognise what they need to look out for, I, I think is important. And that's where I saw my contribution to careers was just guiding them and encouraging them what to look out for. Mm. At the end of the day, the decision is theirs. I, don't, I think a good manager or a good agent empowers the artist to make the right decision, but you've got to give the artist all the factors that go towards making an informed decision. So Channel 10, like you said, a decade, you loved it. Loved it. I loved television, but that time at 10 was a successful era for them. And I talk about Kennedy Miller. So Kennedy Miller is a company that's now, of course, responsible for for Mad Max movies. George Miller's such an accomplished director. You know, Happy Feet. I mean, he's done so many great things. But back in the 80s, He was responsible. Kennedy Miller were responsible for some outstanding miniseries like Vietnam, Dirtwater Dynasty, most famously, I guess, the Bangkok Hilton, which was Nicole's big television series. And so, yes, as well as doing Neighbours, working on those Kennedy Miller miniseries was quite something. And sports. That's where I really continued my passion for sports. So working on, you know, two Olympics in LA and Seoul in 84 and 88, and then Rugby league was front and centre, the number one sport for the 10 network during that time. And that's where I really got introduced to rugby league. And as it played out, 
and as I was getting towards the next career move, I knew that rugby league was going to be a big part of what I did next, and it was. Just quickly interrupting the episode to say a very big thank you to the sponsor of this podcast, and that is Shaw and Partners Financial Services. Shaw and Partners are an Australian investment and wealth management firm who manage over $28 billion of assets under advice. With seven offices across Australia, Shore and Partners act for and on behalf of individuals, institutions, corporates and charities. For more info, you can check out their website at shoreandpartners.com.au. That's S-H-A-W for sure. Shore and Partners Financial Services, your partners in building and preserving wealth. And let's get back into the episode. Can we talk about that now? Because um, yeah, sure. Tina Turner. Yeah, so the boss of the league, John Quayle, said to me, look, if ever you decide to leave 10... I'd become good friends with Quayley and we used to go out for dinners and he said, if ever you decide to set up your own shop, Rugby League would love to work with you. And so I did set up my own shop. I created a business called the Promotions Department. The client that I signed on first was the New South Wales Rugby League. At the time, so we're talking 1989, the game wasn't in great shape. There was a lot of, a lot of issues with on-field thuggery, I guess, if you will, and most importantly, a lot of parents weren't letting their kids play junior rugby league. And that was a concern for the likes of John Quayle and Ken Arthurson. And so my job, I mean, on the field activity, John Quayle was focused on developing the judiciary, which um, was introduced at that time. And off field, my job was to improve the image of the game. And improving the image of the game meant selecting, as it was then, half a dozen first grade players who we felt would project a positive image about rugby league and that was my job to identify who those players were and market them and take them under my wing and I I did so Wayne Pierce, Andrew Eddinghausen, Bradley Clyde, Laurie Daly all became part of the machine that promoted league and the advertising agency that was attached to the rugby league Hertz Walpole had come up with a brilliant campaign idea involving a song called What You Get Is What You See. That was the first commercial, and they went and shot it in the UK, and they signed Tina Turner to that campaign. Halfway through that year, Roger Davies, who's Tina's manager, made contact and said, I think I've got a song from her next album, which is perfect for rugby league. I'll send it over. So Roger sent a copy of Simply the Best to me and to John Quayle and to the agency. How did you receive it back in the day? Was it like a tape in the post? It was a tape. It was a tape. And you sort of chucked it in the tape recorder and say, listen here, everyone, and press play? Yeah, it was literally that. Wow. It was a a cassette. (laughs) But as soon as we all heard it, we just knew that we found the song for the game. And that then was the catalyst for, I think, the most impactful sports campaign in Australia for some time. And even when I look back at the commercials now, I think they still hold up. And we shot a number of commercials with Tina, um, both here in Australia and then over in in Europe. And John Quayle, Jimmy Barnes and I and Paul Mackay from the ad agency went over to Amsterdam where we shot the commercial. We actually recreated the Sydney Football Stadium or parts of it in an aircraft hangar outside of Amsterdam and Tina drove down from Cologne where she lived and we shot two days of commercials. And I've still kept a lot of the footage and I did an interview with Tina at the time, which I've still got, and I look back with great fondness. And if someone said to me, well, she, that's 30 years ago, I'd just think, no, it just feels like 
last year. Yeah. But, um, you what, know. What was she like? She was fantastic and she loved the, she loved the physicality of rugby league and she identified with it. She got on great with all the players who were involved in the commercial. She's an exceptional performer mm. and she gave it her all. And then she ended up coming to Sydney and performed at the grand final and that was tying the bow on the box that moment, I think, for that campaign. And, yeah, so that time for me was incredibly rewarding and I went on to manage Wayne Pierce and E.T. throughout the rest of their football careers and they are lifelong friends. Oh, and two legends, absolute legends and uh, two absolute champion players on and off the field. Yeah. Where were you when Tina was performing at the grand final at the Sydney Football Stadium? Where were you? Were you sat? Were you? Yeah, were yeah. You? I was sat because that was a that was a huge major production. Yeah. Um, one of the jobs that we had, my company had, was producing all the entertainment for the rugby league grand finals and state of origins. And so there were many, many moments, Gus, that I had on the sideline, and some grand finals where I had some very what I look back on now to be very funny moments. The Tina Turner performance was, you know, that was top notch. That was, you don't get any better than that. But in previous grand finals when, you know, the parachute team would land anywhere but where they were supposed to land. <laughs> or famously we had the cast of the musical 42nd Street came out to perform but they brought the wrong music. So oh dear. that wasn't a great moment. <laughs> um, but it, uh, it certainly shapes you, that's for sure. When it's live, yeah, yep. I still get blamed for the Optus TV debacle when the television got stuck halfway across, suspended on a wire, going from one side of the football stadium to the other, and it got stuck halfway through. And I wasn't responsible for it because I was associated with Foxtel, so they brought in another production company to do it. Oh! But when that moment happened, I was the one who got told to go up the players' entrance and, and let... The Bulldogs know they weren't to run out for the second half. That wasn't that wasn't a great career moment either. <laughs> You've had so many highs and lows, I assume. <laughs> I, I mean, if you stick in a business long enough, it's yeah highs and lows. And I'm and oh, but I loved I loved doing those grand finals. I mean, they're just the buzz of sitting on the ground with you know we're packed stadium and look we're all there for the footy, right? We're not there for the show, but. The show is part of the footy and grand final day. I mean, there was always journos who'd have a swing, you know, what are they, what debacle are they going to do this year? And yeah. All that kind of stuff. But they were great. I mean, you know, I, I love, it comes back to what I was saying before. I just love putting on shows. And for me, doing the rugby league grand final was such a great honour. I mean, I think for me, with all of those live shows at the football, the moment of greatest apprehension, excitement, nervous energy is when the national anthem is about to be performed because I'm always freaking out <laughs> that, that the music cue will be on time, that the microphone's working, that the artist hasn't forgotten the lines I mean, because there's no more... It's like a religious moment when they sing the national anthem, right? Mm. And there have been times when it hasn't gone so well. So, yes, I feel at those moments it's when the energy's incredible. It really is. And you've got to find ways to come down on, on that. I remember when I started doing those tours, those music tours, I would have huge withdrawals when an artist had finished a tour because, you know, you're on the road the whole time going and 
you're working with some incredible superstars and they get on a plane and leave the country and you think, oh, I've got to go back now and worry about my next client who might, Paying a bill who might be, you know, Spanish olive oil or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not going to be quite, that's not going to quite match Mariah Carey. But yeah, you just look at it and go, God, that's another, another great moment I can chalk up. Yep. You did it so well while she, do you have a team you support? Cronulla Sharks. Because of ET? Yeah. So did Junior get upset that you, <laughs> that you weren't a Bowman Tiger? Uh, no, he didn't actually. Or the uh, Canberra boys are blowing up <laughs> that you're not a Raider? Well, I never disclosed my team of choice. I was neutral in those days. But okay. if, I, if I was asked, I mean, I grew up in the St. George area. So my dad was a, you know, uh, he was an absolute St. George supporter. And I think maybe part of being rebellious when I was growing up, I decided to go with the Sharks. And that was before E.T. came into my life, actually. Yeah. But then he came in your life and then they win it, you know, in 2016. That's so what, where were you that night? I was out there watching them win and uh that was awesome it was such an awesome win that night and right I down was to the wire right down the oh. wire and i yeah and oh. i was so happy for et he i even though he wasn't an active player then the pride that he showed i you know meant the world he had that moment didn't he et where he was able to hand over the the premiership trophy to gallon it was yeah that was, that was something. beautiful yeah that was something of course there was the win they had in super league but this was the win that mattered Absolutely, this is the real deal when all the all the teams are available. In terms of success stories, is there anyone bigger than Jacko? Anyone bigger than Hugh Jackman in terms of you having that initial part in in, in giving him his break, but also just always being there for him and being a you know a mentor for him? There's no one who comes close to Hugh Jackman. He is everything you see, everything you hear about Hugh Jackman is true. He's the real deal. You know, when I read that report a couple of weeks ago, the survey that said he was the most popular celebrity in Australia, none of that surprised me. He is, without peer, the most authentic, the most decent person who I think has ever stood behind a microphone and performed, appeared on television, appeared on stage. He's just an extraordinary, as you know, you're his best mate. He's an exceptional person and value that friendship so much. What did you see in him while she, when you first gave him that cracker? I think it was the fashion show. I think Rove and yeah. he were doing it together. Two pretty successful guys. Yeah. Obviously, Jacko's gone on to megastardom, but what was it about Hugh and Rove in terms of that timing for you to go, I'm going to back those guys? Well, I was always looking for talent. I mean, that's part of my work with Foxtel was nurturing and developing talent. And I went and saw the stage musical Beauty and the Beast and Hugh was playing Gaston mm. at production. And I thought, who's that bloke? I don't know who he is. But gosh, he can sing and gosh, he can perform. My first question is, why aren't these people on television? They're on stage. Even to this day, there is so, it, it frustrates the hell out of me. that and I, I go to see a lot of theatre. There are so many exceptional performers on stage who never get a look in on television. And the industry is very divided that way. And some casting agents tend to look at actors who just do film and television when they're casting a show. They don't kind of look out at who's also treading the boards, which frustrates me. But I went and saw Beauty and the Beast, saw this young fella, Hugh Jackman. I thought, he's an incredible talent. So I'm going to find out who his agent is. So the next day I did, and I grabbed my colleague who was the head of production. I said, we're going to go and meet this woman, Penny Williams. Mm. She manages Hugh Jackman. So 
we went to her office in Glebe, I'll never forget it, walked up these creaky stairs and the office was a shoebox and she had all these photos around the wall of all these performers. She was puffing away on a cigarette. <laughs> she said, you want to see me about Hugh Jackman, why? And I said, has he ever done television? She said, well, he's a performer. And I said, look, I'd like to meet him. I think we can find something for him on television. So that's how that came about. And we were doing a magazine show called Fashion with Melissa Hoyer and we were looking for a male co-host. And so I, I put him into, into that show. You know. Was he any good? Yeah, he was, he was terrific. He was great. I mean, he's, you know, he was young and television was a new medium. But I said to him at the time, look, it's on pay TV, so not many people are going to see it. So you can stuff up and it'll be okay. Mm. He didn't stuff up, but he, you know, that warm, engaging personality that he has came across. And, you know, the camera doesn't lie. You know, we went on to do specials when he moved to the UK. He and Deb moved to the UK. I got him to do TV specials and it was Hugh Jackman's West End, I think was one of them. And he went and interviewed some of the successful Australians who were playing in Phantom of the Opera and some of those musicals, you know, little did we know that a few years later he'd be one of those people. Yeah. But yeah, that's where the friendship really started to bed in and I'm, I'm proud that I can still call him friend. Absolutely. Yeah. No, he loves you, mate. He absolutely loves you and, you know, is always very, very fond of us talking about you and giving him his first start. In terms of your life as you get older now, what are you doing at Foxtel and where do you see sort of pay TV and how that all works now with all these different streaming services and stuff? Because it's been a difficult time for the industry. Yeah, it has. It's been a challenging time. A, a challenging time for Foxtel, but I'm thrilled that they've turned the corner. So... You know, the business recognised that the world was moving to streaming and if you can't beat them, join them. So the business launched very successful streaming services, the first being KO, which has now got over a million paying subscribers. Then in entertainment, they launched uh, Binge, uh, which is hugely successful, and most recently a news streaming service called Flash. So combined, Foxtel's now bigger than it's ever been, it's reaching 50% of the population and it's got a very healthy business moving forward. So I was there from the very beginning when we christened the name Foxtel and have been very fortunate to have been part of the of the business for all of this time and I am now moving to a different position in the sense that I'm still responsible for the creative output and the commissioning of all of our scripted uh, dramas and comedies and local productions. But I've always wanted, before I, I never use the word retire, but I always wanted to get back into talent management at some point. And I've shared that ambition with the management at Foxtel and with the shareholders and the directors. And they've always known that that's what I I still want to do. And they've been terrific in allowing me to change up my my uh, contractor arrangement so that I can continue to look after the output but also have time to go and set up a talent management business, which is what I'm in the process of doing. Great. So that's back to where you started, really. Back to where I started. Yeah. I want to do it because I think that, you know, one of the things as you get on in life, you realise the importance of giving back. And I do want to give back. And my way of giving back is to identify and nurture careers and I guess you could say that I do that at Foxtel I do but I want to do it more organically from the ground up so I want to go to the graduation classes of 
NIDA and Whopper and VCA and I want to I want to find the next Hugh Jackman, the next Nicole Kidman and and help those careers. That's just something that I have a burning ambition to do. I remember talking to you a few years ago and it was a tough time, a challenging time for the industry and you were quite upset, mm. you know, because you were having to make big decisions with people that you had brought into the business 15, 20 years earlier. I remember you tearing up, I was tearing up and I remember sending Jacko a note saying, hey, just reach out to Walsh, he needs a little bit of love at the moment. It shows how much you're passionate for, and I'm tearing up thinking about that moment. It shows that you're in it for the right reasons, I reckon. You know, and that's why you're good at what you're doing and this talent management stuff will be give you a new lease of life. That was a really tough time. My dad, who I loved and uh, very much, was made redundant and he was close to 60 and I remember the impact it had on us as a family because back in those days when you were made redundant, there was a little bit of shame attached to it. Maybe shame's not the right word but it wasn't... It wasn't um, it wasn't healthy at that stage of life, and I know it hurt my dad very much. It sort of felt like the end. Yeah, it really impacted on me. So when I was in the position where I had to make others redundant, I, I always remembered what, what that time was like when I was a kid at home and the impact it had on my dad and the impact of what I was about to say to my colleagues, many of whom had worked for me 15 years, 20 years. I mean, it's really tough receiving the news. It's also really challenging to give it. Mm. And I had to do that with my deputy and a lot of my senior managers. And, you know, I know it goes with the territory. That's that's what you are expected to do. And none of it was personal. It was all commercially driven, and I get that, but it hurt. Sure did. A day in the life of Brian Walsh. Are you a get-up-early guy? Are you a exercise guy? I get up early when I have to get up early. But, yeah, look, I get up, I devour emails because it's important that I'm up to speed with what's going on in the rest of the world. So while Australia's asleep, the Northern Hemisphere's on the go, so it's important that I wake up, read all the trade mags, read all the emails, take the dog for a quick walk, start my day, then the day... I, I love the variety of my life, so there's a lot of different things that happen during any given day. I could be on set, uh, I could be in the office, I could be having coffee with an agent. So every day is different, and I love that variety. Exercise is an important part of my life. I don't think you can have the kind of lifestyle that I have without exercise. So I've had a personal trainer who's a great mate. I work out with him at least a couple of times a week, but also I do a lot of walking. I love walking. It's a good think time too. Yeah. So I just get frustrated that the dog wants to keep smelling poles all the way on the walk. I like to keep a bit of pace up. The dog's the boss. The dog's the boss, yeah. <laughs> Look, I've got a little cottage up the central coast, so I get away there when I can on weekends. So I have a good life. I have a blessed life. I give thanks for my health and for my family and the company of great friends. You know, it's a life that... I don't take for granted. I'm very blessed, Gus. We're sitting at the Shaw and Partners office today, but if we were sitting at your office at Foxtel, it's awesome just to walk around your office and see, you know, the little notes from the Nicole Kidsmans, the Hugh Jackmans, the Guy Pierces, you know, because they remember where it started, right? And they've sent you a note or the latest show playbill or whatever it might be. It's a lovely museum of Aussies that have done well, and you've been a big part of that. Well, that must make you feel really proud. 
Yeah, I do feel proud. I don't, I'm not one of those people who sort of stop and reflect. I just want to keep moving. I don't look in the revision mirror a lot until I sit down and have talks like this. Yeah. But you're not comfy talking about yourself, are you? You'd prefer to be producing something that would give someone else the centre stage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I always like to be behind the artist. You know, those years when I started my own business, we talked about the rugby league, but I, I also was fortunate to land a, a deal with Paul Dainty and I did all of his concert tours. So being on tour around Australia with Michael Jackson, U2, Barbara Streisand, um, they were, you know, I look back on those moments and think, wow, how sitting in the Sydney Football Stadium when Barbara was rehearsing the night before her show... And I'm just there with a girlfriend of mine and we just looked at each other and said, how good is this? (laughs) How did we get here? How did we get here, the two of us and Barbara's performing? It's lovely that you can make friendships out of your work situations. And I don't regard work as work. This is my life and my love and my passion. And I'm just incredibly grateful. Someone said to us in in the podcast series, find something you love and see if there's a job in it. And you'll never work a day in your life. And it seems like you've been able to do that. Yeah. Like I said at the beginning, you know, to think that my working life is making other people's leisure time more enjoyable. There's no greater reward than that, right? Absolutely. Let's finish off with the top five, Walshie. Have you got a favourite holiday destination? I do. Hawaii. Any particular island? Maui. Beautiful. Just a couple of weeks on the beach there. Yeah. Can that, you actually relax though, Walsh? Oh, I can. Actually, Maui I love, but I also love Kauai. Kauai because the walks you can do there up on the Nepali coastline are just spectacular. And, you know, Kauai is where they shoot so many great motion pictures because it's the, the scenery there is quite incredible. Yeah, I always thought I would love to retire in Hawaii. I'm not, I, I don't think I will, but that's my favourite holiday destination. I mean... I don't think you'll ever retire. No, I won't retire. But I love the ocean. And that's why I've got my place up the coast. I love snow skiing. Love snow skiing. So, but for me, holiday destination would be Hawaii. And you can switch off. I absolutely can switch off. You can not take the phone to the beach. You can literally have a day of Mai Tais and chilling <laughs> without worrying about what's happening in the world. You can't have a mobile phone on a boogie board out the back. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Your favourite quote or saying that perhaps you live your life by? Uh, when you give, you get back more than you can receive. Yeah. All about giving. Yeah. Favourite movie? My favourite movie... You can have a TV show too if you like. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite movie, it's a mad, 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 mad world. It was just, I think, one of the greatest comedies ever, ever shot. And I loved it and I saw it with my dad and that movie means a lot to me, I think. Favourite TV show, gosh, there are just way too many... You know, my life is TV. Of course. So there's no... It's, it'd be like saying who your favourite child is. You just can't yeah, do it. Yeah, I can't do it. Okay. I watched... Uh, last night I watched Succession. Yeah, so good. I'm only just catching up. Jacko told me to get into it. Is, is, that a, is it a comedy? Because <laughs> how can that guy with so much power have so many idiots in his family <laughs> that he allows to run around? I just don't get it. But the idiot cousin... And you got the Tom, the brother-in-law. Like you wouldn't give, you wouldn't put him in charge of a raffle, <laughs> and he's in charge of the whole bloody TV part. Yeah, of it. you'd be surprised how business operates, wouldn't you? <sighs> Confused by that. Are you a reader? Yes. Um, and what you, have you got a favourite book that you know that you read over and over, or one that went, oh, that really, you know, 
That's a good one. I read a, a book I read over and over. There's two great books. One's called Blockbuster and the other's called Hitmen. And no surprise to you, Blockbuster is about the film and TV industry and Hitmen is about the music industry, about the record industry. I like those two books. I read. Okay. I can read those over and over. Otherwise, I spend my whole life reading scripts, some really bad ones <laughs> <laughs> and some great ones. I, I mean, you know, when you're making and commissioning shows, as I do, it's all in the writing. It's all in the writing and all in the development. And I think that's, that's what has distinguished Foxtel dramas over the years. We put a lot of time into development. So that means reading a lot of scripts. And you just never know when you're going to get the next blockbuster. Is it really obvious, like, when you do that? Like, do you, do you literally go, oh, I can't wait to read the next, like, the next uh, line? The next turner, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I mean, if, if you can't grab an audience in the first five minutes, the show's totaled. Right. Yeah, you've got to, get them, got to get them early. So the same goes with reading a script. If I've flipped over and I'm onto page 10 and it hasn't grabbed me, I know it's going to be a long read. Right. It's a six out of ten and probably won't get the, the money required. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of power for you, isn't it? Like a lot of dreams of people, they write something, they send it in, they're waiting for the response and it's you that could make or break it. That's a, that's a lot. Oh, there's, I don't know if it's me that, I mean, there's a lot of people involved in the process of, okay. of making a film or TV show. So you're not sitting up there sort of, you know, like got the godfather. I don't think so. No, I don't profess to be person that has all the skills to bring a show to the screen i'm just part of the conveyor belt really yeah good on you walshy and um a favorite charity to give ten thousand dollars to because sure and partners are promoting and looking after us here on the podcast so we just wanted to give all our guests that opportunity to give ten thousand dollars and what will those people do with that money i think for me mental health for me it's a real focus in terms of what i'd like to support and particularly amongst young people and for me if I was and I do contribute that to me is where I would put all my energy and drive into youth mental health we can certainly do that yep. Good Fantastic. On you, you're a champion mate thank you so much for your time I could have talked to you for another hour but um, it's just so good to see you again and thank you for being so open honest and vulnerable with us today you're a champion Gus Walland and I've known you for many years and I've seen you grow from a fellow who was selling Toshiba <laughs> laptops <laughs> laptops in the north of England to the role you play today in encouraging us all to think more about others and to care more. And you're a beautiful man with a big heart and it's been a great honour. Thanks, Walshie. A big thank you to Shore and Partners Financial Services who have generously supported this podcast and also donated $10,000 to the charity of choice of each of our guests to thank them for their time. Shore and Partners are an Australian investment and wealth management firm who manage over $28 billion of assets under advice. With seven offices around Australia, Shore and Partners act for and on behalf of individuals, institutions, corporates and charities. For more info, you can check out their website at shawandpartners.com.au. That's S-H-A-W for sure. Shaw and Partners Financial Services, your partners in building and preserving wealth.